If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Well, I almost gave up drinking I cut back the three a day I even started exercising As middle age never shaved And I quit smoking Marlboro Red I ain't a salad man Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson, along with my co-host, Brian Siegler. Hey, buddy. Um, yeah. In the words of our friend, Jason Long, I almost gave up drinking, but then the game happened today. Oh, Jesus did it ever. And as you say that, I am having another beer after that game where the... Oh, man. I, I definitely went full fat kid mode and like ate and drank my feelings after that game. Rough game, man. Hokies fall to the Tar Heels, 56-45. We're drinking our feelings away. We're drinking till we don't feel feelings anymore. I'm having another Sam Adams Boston lager. Brian's probably uh, – what did you pick up tonight, Brian? I got the, Bre- the Breckenbach, man. Been, been rolling the Breckenbach. Brian's chugging Breckenbach. It's after midnight. The highlight just came on Sports Center about two minutes before we hit record. So even more freaking ain't. A little, little salt in the wound there. This salt in the wound. Like we're sitting here and we're talking through the stuff anyway. And it's like, oh, here it is again, right in the side. So, guys, you know, as we, as we, as we said, Hokies fall 56 45 and one just kind of wild, crazy game. Um, we're going to hit some few things here tonight, uh, looking at tape, looking at some breakdowns. Brian kind of had a stop in the middle of the game and head over to a kid's birthday party, but I think he was able to come back get enough of the viewings, unfortunately, of the remaining parts of the second half he missed. At least he scored some points in that second half. A lot. I mean, yeah. shit. 31 points, Jesus. I mean, if I told you we put up 45 and 260 on the ground, hell, we're probably thinking, shit, we probably won this game. But I thought that was a 10-point win, but no, alas. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hit it up, Brian. Let's get it rolling. Um, let's start with the what you said you wanted to focus on, Virginia Tech's defense today, and let's start with this. Brian, coming in, UNC was rushing for 168 yards a game. That's not bad. Pretty good. Them some bitches tripled that up pretty much today. Um, and yes, yeah, not good at all. The one-two punch of Williams and Michael Carter. 
Williams with 169 yards on the ground. Carter with 214. And, Brian, we've been going back and forth. What the hell happened to our linebacker core today? Uh, man, I was watching the game. I went back and watched some, some tape later. Man, the linebackers played probably the worst game I've seen them play since since the, I've, I've watched this unit play together. Um, you know, Richard Ashby didn't have a great game. Dax Hollyfield had a horrible game. Um, Alan Tisdale was good in spots and bad in spots. And it, it, it was just bad all, all around, man. They played timid. They got bad reads and they did not tackle well. Like that's the trifecta right there. <laughs> like one of those three things. Well, maybe it's a different outcome, right? If you can at least tackle, which is one, one thing we emphasize they needed to do in this game. If we wanted to win, if you at least tackle, well, you probably take maybe 10 points off the board there. So and that that might have been enough to, to to pull out a victory or at least have a chance there at the end, but damn dude, we did not do it. it. I mean, it was it was it was bad. It really showed the lack of athleticism that we have at the linebacker position. They were up on us at the second level pretty much every time they ran the ball. Like. Even when we did the right thing, they they were getting five and six yard gains in the running game. Like it it was it was bad, man. It was as bad as I've seen our run rush defense ever. Well, no, you sent me some some screenshots, and some of them it just looked like we were taking just horrible steps. Like you know, one of the ones you sent me on was Tisdale essentially flowing back up to Rook's position, and what is that that was that huge run, that massive what, forty, fifty yard run? Yeah, forty yard run. Um Williams got nudged out on the sideline. I think the the run started at about the twenty and then they ended up on the other side, um, like thirty eight yard line. So I mean it was it was a big run and you know, what happened was kinda kinda simple there. So, you know, you had Tisdale that got a bad read, ended up about one gap further to the uh to the right of the formation than he should have been and that left a big hole and then Matheny was a little late with the plug missed the tackle and all of a sudden you got this huge gain down the sideline um which if Tisdale made the right read he's probably there to assist Matheny making that play in the gap instead of chasing the play I mean essentially I mean Tisdale got got blocked and he blocked Rook from even being able to pr- pursue there because the guy that was supposed to block Rook ended up blocking Tisdale. <laughs> funny. But on that play too, when, when we mean you talked about it, if, if he steps into that gap, the running back can either face him head on because the way that, the way that run was blocked, he would have been unblocked in the gap. Yeah. And he gets the guy can hit him and take the two or three yard gain towards the hump. And we didn't see any humps today, man. No, they they were getting to their spot when they wanted to just about every play. Um, and that, and like I said, we we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like when when you're able to get to your spot as a running back, that gives you options in what you can do with the cutbacks or getting up the alley. Like you you at least have options. And we gave them options all day. They were able to get to the second level and 
kind of pick their poison with based on what was left in the back end. And when you couple that with not, not tackling well across the board, but especially at the linebacking position, it's trouble, man. It's, it's, it's a, it's a big, big clusterfuck of a mess. Well, let me ask you just to go, just going forward, because we're going to hit a couple other things here. The problems you saw today, are they fixable? They are fixable, but it's going to take, I, I, I think if we play another elite level team that has this athleticism and runs this type of offense and has linemen that can push around our defensive tackles a little bit, we're going to still struggle because I don't think we have enough athleticism at the linebacking position to kind of offset some of those shortcomings. Now, I think if you had Devon Diablo and Keontae Jenkins in the game, I think some of that gets cleaned up on the back end. But I think we're in, until we kind of get better personnel on the defensive tackle area that can kind of occupy space and not get moved out of the gap, like because it, it's it's definitely a, it trickles kind of up to the different levels. I think our defensive tackles did a good job of shooting the gaps. The problem with that is that with the way they were running the RPO and uh-huh. how efficient they were, they were getting rid of the ball, so shooting the gaps didn't really benefit us in the in the pass rush game. Yeah. And because of what they were they were getting so much movement with the on the defensive tackles, so like the guards were getting down blocks and they were just moving those defensive tackles out of the gap. So even though they were in the right place, the gap was getting moved. That means the hole is getting wider. You mentioned something and two guys. I, I love Matheny because you, the guy plays with heart. He tries his hardest, but he's still a third string walk on. Let me ask you this. I'm going to move this up a couple rungs on our rundown. How many, how many points do you think having Kianta and Didi would have made today? How many points? We walked by 11. Would it have been just two or three? I think they, I think they save a touchdown because there's, there's a couple plays where I think Devon Diablo would have been in there making the tackle. Um, you know, Matheny missed a couple. I think a couple he was late getting his fill, which meant that the running back could stick his foot in the dirt, widen his angle, and get to the sideline. Instead of having to getting getting met kind of right in the hole that you know where, where um, you know Devine or Jenkins would have filled there, so there's definitely areas where we would have got been better with those guys in the game, um, but at the same time it would have been we would have still given up a lot of points because it was kind of a we would have been dealing more with a death by a thousand cuts than you know some of those big gashing runs that ended up you know, going for touchdowns or going for 30, 40 yard gains. All right. Well, but when I hear that, that, that makes me think different because when you're not gashing, the more plays a team has to run, the more chance it errors, the more chance at incompletions, the more chance at good things happening for the Hokies. Sure. Now, now let me, let me ask this next. Tomorrow Connor gets hit with the targeting ejection. So we won't miss him next week. Thank goodness. But how big did that hurt us, especially in the run game? Because it was very early. It was very early in the first quarter. It was one of those th- – this is where I think you feel collegiate needs to adjust because Hal was up when essentially Chamari was coming. And then with where Hal went, 
how Chamori's head was, he gets ejected. How much of not having him do you think affected the run game throughout the day? It definitely hurt in the run game, um, especially as the game wore on. I mean, we were already thin at those positions coming in because of, you know, the, the, the two big guys being out and, you know, some of the other guys that we had that play cornerback, yeah. you know, not being in. So we were already thin there and <laughs> we got obviously thinner once, once Connor went, uh, went out with the ejection there. And that would have helped in the run game, honestly. And they were good in the run game before he left, but they were actually taking more advantage of Connor in the pass game when he was still in the game. And I think we ended up getting a little better at that because we ended up, I think, as the game wore on, we actually moved Waller into nickel and let him kind of run run that. And I think that that shored up some of the, the things they were doing in the pass game, but... We just kept getting gashed in the run game, and Connor would have definitely made a, a, a difference there. I, like I said, I don't know if some of that yardage would have ended up being kind of short passing, um, you know, more of that RPO stuff where they were going to some quick outs and things like that that they were taking advantage of early on in the first half. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's really hard to say, but it, it definitely hurt from a run game perspective, no doubt. Absolutely. And I mean, when you look at the, their run game, it was 9.3 yards per carry. I mean, you're you, you to give up that much and to fight back the way the team fought back to lose by 11. It, it's an testament. You know, we, we're going to probably as we get into this, we're probably going to torch the coaching staff a little bit um, because it's on them. But the guys never quit. All right. This this is the question, because I made a note here as you were talking about it. Um you mentioned Rook didn't have his best. Tisdale was good and bad. You mentioned Dax was horrible. What should Dax Hollyfield's role on this team be? He needs to be a guy that's coming in to spell Tisdale or Rook. He doesn't need to be a frontline guy anymore. I think we, we've seen everything that Dax is going to give us at this point. And I think we've kind of seen that for a while, man. I mean, he's he's kind of peaked. <clears throat> he peaked early, and I think people kind of expected more of a, a steady upward trajectory with his game, and we just haven't seen that. We've seen more or less the same player we saw in 2018, just with a little more leadership skills. Does it hurt that he's been playing out of position at backer instead of the mic? Do you think that's had hurt his progression that they're asking him to do things to me he, he can't do but when you only have a couple options there hey you've got to do it I think if we would have been smart we would have went ahead and said once Tisdale came on and played the way he did the back half say Dax you're inside you're, you're Mike you're going to back up Rook you're going to come in and we'll, we'll maybe put you out there on the outside in certain situations or if we're playing a team that's very very much a kind of between the tackles traditional run style, not this RPO and read option. Um, Cause he does, he does pretty good when he can kind of get a good read and get downhill and make a play. But when he has to think it becomes problematic. Um, he was out of position a lot in, in the game today when he was in position, he was missing tackles when he was in position to potentially make a play, he was getting blocked by even Daz Newsom. Like, 
Come on, man. The Dez is 5'11", 190 pounds. Dax is six foot three and a half, 235 pounds. He should not be getting even great technique, not be getting blocked. If you tell me that, you know, he, he stopped the momentum, yeah, that, that means Daz Newsom is working on his, you know, blocking skills. If you're telling me he's just wiping him out, that tells me somebody's essentially not listening and understanding leverage and what he needs to do to get to the right point. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was ugly across the board. Um, I think, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about coaching a little bit here, and I mean, it's it's so difficult to to determine how much of this is coaching and calling, and how much is just really bad matchups against what they were doing on offense, man. And I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there were some issues with preparation for this team. I think we um, had some execution flaws. I think we were mismatched from a um, athleticism perspective, especially with the linebackers against what they were doing in the inside run game. Yeah. But I think also a few calls put our guys in some bad spots and, you know, we got bit a couple times with some deep balls where we had guys on an Island. Yeah, well, let's get to the deep balls in the passing because clearly the running game they they lit us up for you know 390 plus yards. That's why I said triple. They're not quite triple, but two and a half times what they normally do. Yeah. Um, but you know, Hal today, I mean, he was efficient. He he, he he, it's what you want him if you if you're running like that, you want him to have the sideline of 18 for 23, 257, three touchdowns. Um, his Two big weapons had great days. Diami Brown, three for 86 with two touches. Das killed us, essentially. Seven for 69 and a touchdown. Still don't know why we offered that, didn't offer that kid, had his brother. Obviously, Myron played here in the 90s. And then Williams continued to kill on the ground game with 55 yards in the pass. Um, their offensive line played good. Really good in the run game, solid in the pass pro game. They only allowed one sack. But, Brian, me and you talked about it, and we texted kind of early in the game. They didn't have to drop five to seven. It was quick hits. It was threes. It was getting rid of the ball quick. I mean, when you don't have to, when you don't have to drop back, the offensive line, as you kind of said to me, is your responsibility goes by half. Yep. And, and the big thing I saw was that, you know, because of the success they were having on the run game, they were able to just, you know, fake the zone read and then just stand in the pocket right there, you know, four yards deep in, in the uh, in the backfield and wait for some of those guys to get about 20, 25 yards downfield, and then he was chucking it. And, yeah. you know, a couple times they they set up the, the formation where, you know, we were in a bad call. We had – uh the one that went deep to to Brown in the first quarter, uh-huh. you know, they 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 had uh, you know two to the top of the screen and uh, Brown on the bottom, and you know we were in uh, in quarters with uh, with Chapman having half the field there against against Brown, and you know what essentially became a a quasi one on one matchup there because of everything that was going on to the other side of the field there. Um, Brown was the only person on that side of the formation. And 
you know, what I didn't like about Chapman's technique there is that he gave up ground very quick to where Brown got to dictate terms of that route. And as soon as, as soon as you do that, you know, Brown, all, all he had to do was give him a little shoulder fake and that, and a little bit of reaction was enough to get him about four or five yards of space where, you know, he got open deep and, you know, great ball by Howell is right on the money. And, uh, you know, Chapman tried to recover there, but, Unfortunately, that ended up with a big touchdown for them that gave them a twenty-one nothing lead. Yeah, and we talked about the downfield numbers in the uh, preview show. That was Sam Howell's first air yard pass over twenty yards all year, all year. And, and so, Brian, I'm gonna make sure I heard you right on this. Amani Chapman, that was a zone. That wasn't a man because to me, it looked like he was in man. Because of the way he bit down when when he made that little shoulder turn, like he was going to go on an out route and then cut back up on him. So, so yeah, so if, me, if you look back at it, it's it's quarters coverage. So you had um, Walker was playing on the the far hash. You had okay. Matheny playing on the numbers, far numbers. He took uh, Newsom up the sideline on the the fly. So it was essentially twin fly routes, and then they sent the. Uh, the tight end, I believe, was up the seam, or was it? Uh, was it? Uh, what's his name? Bo, uh, it was one of. The, anyway, it was it was one of the one of the other guys to the high side there um, went up the seam. So you had two guys running up on you know, outside the other hash, and then you had essentially what became a de facto one on one, even though Armani Chapman was supposed to be in uh, essentially half field in that quarter's coverage. He was playing the back half of the uh, the left side of the formation. Can I ask you a question? Yep. If Armani continues to backpedal, does that become a touchdown? Because the way, the way you're saying is he saw him make that move and he essentially just bit down versus saying, no, you're in quarters. Although it's He gave up his cushion too fast if, with him having – that deep, deep uh, half responsibility. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That there we go, there we go. So he so once he blow. gave up his cushion, he it, it became like a man responsibility at that point. He did, he did, he wasn't driving on the ball. He was running with Brown. So at that point, Brown was dictating the terms of what what was going on there instead of um, Chapman. If he kept his cushion, he could have kind of read and react. Yeah, so essentially. Because of what Brown did, he flipped it from a zone to a man coverage. Yeah, because he, because of how much he got rid of the cushion right at the beginning of the route. Okay, okay. Um, I feel like the other one, too, was also a, a, a man beater. I'm not sure. But either way, it just, you know, they, they hit two big ones today. They hadn't hit any all year. They hit two big ones for touchdowns today. Um and they also maintain their efficiency in the red zone, Brian. Um, if you take out the kneel down, they were essentially perfect in the red zone. Um, and you're, you're not going to beat a team that is perfect in the red zone and gets several deep ball touchdowns. Um, it's almost like the perfect storm happened for this defense today um, where we had felt good the first couple of weeks. We didn't feel great. We didn't feel 2005, 2006 defense, but we felt like they were tackling solid. Not not great, but they were getting there, game tackling. 
They were playing good in coverage with some of those zones. They were staying in their zone. They weren't, as you talked about, Armani giving up their cushion. It's like they didn't trust themselves today. It's like they started getting beat defensively, and it was just like the overthinking, the let me do this, not that. And against a team with the talent of Carolina, Daz is talented. Diami's talented. Their two backs and Sam are talented. They have a – they don't have a great offensive line, but they have a solid offensive line. Yeah. And everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Yeah, and, and because of this, their success in the run game, that offensive line never really got pushed from the pass rush. Like, they were quick getting rid of the ball, and when they did take shots, they took shots from play action, so guys were playing less aggressive going after – the quarterback and they, and we didn't get them in a lot of third and long situations where, you know, it was an obvious pass situation. So that, that, that put us in a spot where we couldn't just pin our ears back and go after Howell. Yeah. So a really bad debut for ham. Um, I, I don't think this is indicative of the kind of defensive coordinator he is, um, especially today, you know, having divine out, having Keonta out, having Brian Murray out, having Tyree out, losing Jamari early in the game. Essentially, you lose so much depth at essentially what I will call the safety positions. Um, you know, it, it just it wasn't good, but I'll say something. The kudos on the coaching staff. To get down by 21, then 25, the team never quit. And... Maybe the switch at halftime helped when we went to Hendon. But, um, Brian, anything else on the Virginia Tech defensive side before we flip and look at the offensive side? Because we've got some things we got to look at there. Because we did score 45 points today, 31 in the second half. Yeah, um, um, I mean, I, I'm good on defense there. I will say, like like you said, um, you know, rough start for Jay Ham. Um, I, I want to see – some improvement on some of the areas we just talked about, man, especially with, uh, with, with regard to the linebackers, hopefully getting those safeties back on the field. Uh, Diablo and Jenkins is going to, in particular is going to be a big uh, help in the run game because we definitely need it. I know I was talking with you a little bit about kind of what we're doing on the defensive line now and how, what linebackers and safety responsibility in the run game, um, how much more that matters now. Yeah. And I, I made the comparison of the Colts team that won the Super Bowl yes, um, with Peyton Manning and how that run defense when Bob Sanders was, was injured and not playing for pretty much that whole season was absolute garbage. But he comes back late in the uh, the regular season and then in the playoffs, you know, it goes from a, you know, bottom three in the league rush defense to – one that only gave up, I think, one 100-yard rusher in the playoffs, and that was only just. So, you know, the safety play with, with the way we're playing defense now is, in the run game is very important. So not having both of those starters in the game is significant. Again, I don't think we, we were going to hold them under 30 with them in the game, but I think we might be a you know a touchdown better, and that might have been just enough to give us a shot there at the end. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump over to the offense now. Um, first of all, Brian, 
I started marking short side runs. And in those first <laughs> two drives, we had five short side runs. So I'm losing my mind again on that. Probably, I hope you were the same way. But the first three series with Braxton, early part of the game, basically they were doing the most basic plays that we had ran the first two games. And, dude, it looked like UNC was absolutely prepared and getting to the spots and flying and, and making us hump and beating the offensive linemen. And I sit here and I'm like, what the hell are we doing? You're literally show, giving them everything that we have shown on tape. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was sad to see how early on we went way vanilla with the play calls. We didn't lean on juice in the run game. We, he had one carry in the first quarter and three in the first half. Like, you know, I, I get that, you know, you want to start getting some positive movement on offense before you start just, you know, feeding the man. But at the same time, you need to lean on your strength. And we've seen the strength of this defense, this offense is running the football with Khalil Herbert. Yes, it is. And if we, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying with the vanilla play calls, and I think we should have definitely mixed up how we were getting the ball to him, but the fact that we didn't get it to him is a travesty. An absolute travesty because, you know, he would end up winding up, even with that little of carries in the uh, first half, he still had 138 yards. He still had two touchdowns. He still had 7.7 yards of carry with those those just having three in the first half. So, again, it just kind of tells you it's like, you know, it's okay to do things you do, but you've got to figure out different ways to kind of get him involved, be be intelligent about that. And so, you know, after those three series, they bring Hinton in for a series. He goes three and out. I don't think that shocked anybody. They, again, very vanilla, very blasé, nothing special. But finally, we're down 21 nothing. Finally start mixing up the play calls. And lo and behold, two touchdowns and three possessions. We cut it to a one-score game. Um, anything specifically on those drives other than mixing it up a little bit? You know, mixed it up. Um, and honestly, on the first touchdown drive, just a hell of an individual effort by Trey Turner kind of taking that little route there and – working inside and then coming back outside and getting up the sideline for a really big gain. I mean, it was, it was one of those give me your ankles type situations with the safety there. He, uh, he gave him the little okie doke and then went outside and all of a sudden he was up the sideline. It was like what 50 yard gain on that one play. I want to say maybe 55. Let me look here on the first one real live here. I think we touched on this earlier, but I missed it. 36. 36. 36. Okay. I I, I inflated the play. (laughs) It felt like a 55 yard gain to us because of how porous everything had been to that point. So. (laughs) When you play for three consecutive possessions. It's like, oh, 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 yes. Okay. Finally, something. Well, what it did is that we were, we went from our, we went from, you know, just our side of midfield, right into the red zone. And a few plays later, 
you know, we, we run, we run, and then we run the little jet sweep to James Mitchell from the like one or two yard line, which is the most unstoppable play in collegiate football. I don't know how, but it is. <laughs> Go up, you know, twenty one seven. And then We're like four for five running those jet sweeps to him at the goal line, man. It is one of the more impressive things of all times. And then defense steps up, gets a three and out, but we then we have a three and out. But defense holds again and gets a three and out. And then another big play drive. Um, and this one, Brian, I know was again a couple Khalil Herbert with a big run, Turner with a catch, and then Herbert punches it in. And you're sitting here, and it's like, wow. After that first quarter, holy shit, we're down 21-14. Yeah. That Herbert touchdown was impressive because he got outside, and then he waited for the safety to come up and then just said, all right, I'm going outside, got to the edge, got up the sideline, scampered in the end zone. His vision and patience on that run, I, I jotted that down on that run. It's like, you don't see guys do that. He literally set it up, waited, found it, went. Also, props to James Mitchell for getting a big ass pancake at the end of that too. Oh, you're you texted me and my buddy Mike texted me like, give James Mitchell all the credit in the world for that touchdown run. He crushed that guy absolutely. All right, well, defense again all day has happened. They have a couple good series and then they give up another touchdown. They go back up to two scores. But, uh, you know, hey, we've proven we can go score on these guys now. Yep. They're up 28-14. It's getting around near the end of the half, and we're driving. You know, got a good drive going. We get to the UNC 43. Brian, it's third and four at the UNC 43. You're clearly down two touchdowns. You are out of Brian Johnson's range, or so we think. What he did later was pretty impressive. What, what do you expect? If you're the offensive play caller, Brian, what, what is your call there? Third and four, 43-yard line, you're, you're probably in two-down territory. What's your play call there? Run. Any specific run? Anything you would have liked to see? I would like to see probably outside zone to the wide side to Khalil Herbert. You said last time not to piss me off. <laughs> but no, Brian. Brad Cornelison looks at the Excel spreadsheet and runs a fucking short side screen to Tavion Robinson, and we get one yard. You know what? I would have been okay if it was like a tunnel screen because at least he's moving towards the quarterback and can kind of roll up field where you feel like his momentum but no, it's just like a quick spot screen outside where he has no forward momentum when he catches the ball. Like he can't even fall forward for like two or three yards. It's just like so, so, uh, uh, mind-numbing. Uh, so now it's fourth and three. Brian, once again I'll ask you. It's fourth and three at the 42 of the UNC. What, what's your play call here? Is is Braxton still on the field at fourth and three? You're dead, <laughs> but you, you're driving. You're showing you can score on this team. I mean, I, I like the play call to go for it. I don't like the call that was called. Throwing a quick slant from 
the slot position into double coverage. Uh, I don't like that. What I would have liked to seen is that if you're going to throw the ball in that situation, you either kind of do one of those, uh, you know, fake one way and kind of throw back to your tight end or honestly lean on your strength and just run zone. <laughs> I would have rather seen you run zone on fourth and three than what than the play call we ended up going with. Yeah, and, and I think for me and you, we hate it because we know the strength of this team is our line. It's our yeah, like all three of them, and it's our running backs. Uh, you know, you know, Braxton didn't have the best day, and essentially, you know, Braxton's time as starter is over. But you still feel in that situation, run him in some way. Let us use our strengths. Yeah, and I and I don't think Braxton played a bad game. I think he played considering his strengths and weaknesses, probably a B plus game for him against that defense. But I don't think we, we needed a lot more than that to win the game, especially the way they were humming on offense. Um, and, and, and that's, that's the long and short of it, man. But again, like on that fourth down call, like why not do something where you're at least maybe moving the pocket. So, you know, if, if the route isn't there, Braxton has a chance to take off and maybe get it with his legs. But, you know, you kind of, if you're throwing the slant, I mean, there's not really a whole lot. He's not moving off that unless for whatever reason, the, you know, the C's part and he can, (laughs) you know, run right up the gut or something. But, you know, you took away the option for him to even use his best ability on that fourth down. Absolutely. Now, so, Again, Carolina gets the ball. It's and they hit their second big play. We're down 35-14 going into half. Um, and second half, I don't think to anyone's surprise, Hendon comes out as the starter. Um, and and this is the honest truth. Hendon Hooker is our QB one. Meaning no doubt. QB show as that. I think it showed in that first half that you were missing the elements of the passing game. That if they were there. Maybe we're maybe it's thirty five twenty one thirty five twenty four going into halftime. We can we can get on that. Yep. These are one now as we come out in the second half. The early play call is just very vanilla. Then we got a first down, and then it where it took three plays for the offense to start mixing up the calls with Brack three series. Excuse me. It took a couple plays with Hendon. And they start mixing it up. And then an absolute perfect, all credit in the world to Cornelison, play call to Trey Turner for a touchdown that was unfortunately nullified but has illegal motion and he wasn't set, which just sucks because it was perfect play right into a zone on the inside, almost using the middle of the field as a seam. Hendon puts it on the money. Trey doesn't stop running touchdown. Fortunately, it comes back. Now, very fortunate we have a kicker now we can trust. And you saw that kick because you, you were at the you, Brian unfortunately had to stop and take his son to a birthday party for a little while. So he was having to pay attention to a seven year old at a birthday party, try to keep an eye on the game, text me some stuff. You saw that play about what 20 minutes ago, or right before we started recording. Yep. And you were like, Jesus, what a kick! Yeah. They were holding it on the uh, the UNC logo. 
So, yeah, 55-yarder, and it gets us to within 18. But just looking at that, that kind of play and then kind of everything that would happen from here on out, Hinton had some good runs. And, Brian, um, by having him in there, the offense is so much more dynamic. Yep. And, and, it's, and let's just talk about it. I mean, it showed up on the damn scoreboard. Yes, it did. 31 points in the second <laughs> 31 points. 31 points in the second half. So it's this is not just, you know, eye test. Like, it's fucking, you know, we've got the data there, too. <laughs> I mean, we got we got 31 points, um, double the yardage in the second half. Um, big runs by Herbert opened up. We finally started giving the ball to Herbert. Um, what was his final final uh, tote number? Uh, tote number again, 138, two touchdowns, 7.7 a carry. How many carries? At 7.7, like 18. Okay. 15 in the second half. So 15 in the second half, yeah. Which I would I would expect at least twelve per half. So the fact that you know, I thought he was going to be between twenty and twenty five carries for the game. Yep. And well, you know we were under that, and we were under that because we underutilized him in the first half. Yep. Absolutely. Like I just I don't get how we didn't lean on our strength in the first half, especially when again we were having some limitations in the passing game. It's a hundred percent, man. And I talk about the hooker run. He runs the second, the first touchdown of the second half in after hitting a freaking fifty plus yarder to the big stone gap. And right there, because the next series was the big juice run. And me and you talked about it, and we've mentioned it before. UNC when he got in there, they couldn't just guess and go to a spot. They actually had to think and dissect. Yeah. The more they fought and dissect, the more we scored. And, you know, Brian, as we got into deeper into the third quarter, you know, the defense, um, you know, continues to hold pretty good because now they're getting some time off the field. They hold to a three and out, you know, and, you know, UNC gets the lead back to 12. And then we finally get there, get it within four. And explain that route where Tavion Robinson caught his touchdown because I loved it. They showed it at a great angle. But tell me what those guys are thinking. You have Hennon as the runner. You have Juice and Juice just broke a big one. They've hit Big Stone Gap. Tell me what that defense is thinking on that touchdown play to Tavion. So Trey ran a wheel. <laughs> okay. And and Trey took two guys up the sideline with him on the wheel. And what that left was Tavion essentially running a route kind of in right up the hash. And they hit him there. And all he had to do was make a move on the safety. The safety was the only person there. Safety still had an eye on what Trey Turner was doing. He put a little okie doke on him and then ran right, right between the, uh, the hashes there for the touchdown. It, I mean, it was a really good play call, man. It was a really good play call. And the way, they set it up. They definitely had both of their eyes on the wheel because we've thrown the wheel a couple times at this point. And then you, you know, kind of work that route underneath and, you know, Tavion Robinson had a lot of room to work. And when he's got room to work, he can make guys miss and just get up field for the touchdown. Yes, he can. 
But, you know, obviously the defensive struggles continued. After we cut it to five, the defense pretty quickly gave it back. We go back up to 12. Then we have the just the one that irritated the crap out of a lot of folks, you included, me included. We get the ball. Juice Herbert, 11 yards. Oh, here we go again. We're going to cut it right back down. After an 11-yard gain, we choose to pass the ball on three consecutive plays. And I'm trying to figure that out because it makes no sense. Hendon takes a sack on third down and 10. We have to punt. Let's just not run it at all. He just got 11 yards. Let's just completely ignore the the, the motor of the team, the, the thing to keep the team going. And this is where... The Excel spreadsheet needs to be tossed out, and potentially the person up in the booth calling these plays, this is where you get to that point, and I'm holding my neck like this, Brian, like maybe he needs to go because it's so inconsistent. And and, and at that point right there, you know you can score on them. Yeah. You're struggling to and, – and, and I mean, let, let, let's emphasize this here. Let's, let's talk about it. We're going to break it down real deep here. We are not saying that Brad Cornelson is a bad offensive coordinator. He he does well with the game plan. He does well with play design. He does very well with a lot of things. And in moments, he does a damn good job play calling. But he is so inconsistent and sometimes either underthinks or overthinks the situation. Not just when it happens. It, it, it's It's definitely more of like, when it's the flow of the game, like that was a key drive. Like we needed that to get points. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, there's, there's drives where, okay, well you don't feel bad about a three and out or you don't feel bad about, you know, trying to do something different and it didn't work and you had a punt. Sometimes there's those scenarios and you're like, okay, well he was trying something different. It didn't work, but that's something you do when you're, not in these crunch time moments. It's not something you don't get cute when things are humming for you. And all of a sudden you try to do something different just to shake things up. Like the running game is going, the misdirection game is going both in the passing game and the running game, you know, go back to the well until they can stop it. Yep. But they don't, that happens. We punt UNC gets us. Again, to go up 56-37, we're down 19, and, you know, it's about nine minutes left in the game. And all hope's not lost because you take a look at how we scored in the third quarter, one in a minute and 18 seconds, one in under a minute, and it's like, cool, this is fine. Let's, let's we, We've got to go score, you know. Yep. Also, let's mention real quick the Brian Johnson onside kick. That was a thing of beauty that swung the momentum in our favor. Um, and he not only won, the one up the middle was pretty, but the one to the outside that they got later on was also beautiful. So give him his due diligence or give him his credit. But then, so we get the ball, nine minutes or so left. And Brian, I don't know if you, you didn't get to see this, I don't think, live. The tempo of that touchdown drive felt so shitty. Yeah. It took three minutes and 23 seconds. And I'm sitting here. It's like, what, what are we doing? We are down 19 points. We know we can score fast on them. We need to 
get our asses and go. And once again, you, you just mentioned more flaws about Brad Cornelison. There's another one right there. It's like, no, this is when you need to go tempo. This is when you need to take shots. Basically, that drive, it, you know, it turned so essentially he should have switched the drives. Yeah. If you did this on the previous drive and then, you know, hurried up and was chucking it on this drive, you might say, okay, well, at least there's a rhyme and reason to it. But, you know, he got too cute and moving too fast and trying to do too much on a drive where he just needed to simplify things and keep rolling with what's working. And then one, you know, then when he's in a situation where we need points, we have to get points and have to get points fast. He's like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to methodically drive this bad boy down the field and get a, get a touchdown and a two point conversion. No big deal. Uh, yeah. And here's the issue with that drive. And it's to your point. Exactly. Eight plays, 77 yards, three minutes, 23 seconds. We had five runs on that one. Yes, we have the explosive guys. Don't get me wrong. But when you're down 19 with nine minutes left, you need to be pushing the ball. And, again, it's just terrible situational awareness. Um, Again, this is where we tried the onside kick. We don't get it, but – that last drive, even you, you said it to me right before the game, right before we started, there were several opportunities for the defense to stop them. We didn't. And at the end of the day, not enough stops and not going to quarterback one quick enough. Cost yeah. the game 56-45. We should have went to quarterback one, snap one. Oh well, yes, that's what me and you was saying. <laughs> Snap was... one should have been QB one. Hinden Hooker should have started the game. Um, I'm going to put that on Coach Fuente and, and, and Coach Cornelson for not getting the right guy to start the game. I mean, at some point, you got to say, regardless of preparation, regardless of what the practices look like, he's had enough time to reacclimate himself. You know he is your best option at their position, you don't play it safe against a ranked opponent in your conference that you're likely going to have to beat in order to play for a conference championship. Yep. Now, we that's not to say that our, our hopes of a conference championship are out the door because, you know, UNC's played two tight games against lesser ACC competition to this point and almost got, you know, nicked against Boston College. So, that's not to say they can't drop two games and we're right back in the in the driver's seat, but right now we didn't put our best effort out there to start the game, and it came down to bite us because if Hendon's out there, this could have ended up in a shootout versus having to play catch up the whole damn game. That's where the bigger issue is. It's we had to play catch up. If he's out there, you feel from jump street, they score opening, we score opening. And that set the tone for them also to where I don't think they get as comfortable running the ball. I think they got to be comfortable running the ball because you're up 21 nothing after the first quarter. Yep. Well, shit. I mean, tell me any football coach in this world that we're up, we're going to run a little more. If we continue to stay up, we're, we're going to keep running. We kill clock. We're getting gashers. You know, well, I'll tell you what, what UNC did against us is that they found what was working and they stuck with it. Hmm. Yeah, let's not talk about that because there were certain things that were working for us that we just decided to go away from, Ron. And, you know, 
as we close in on 1 p.m. here, Eastern Standard Time, watching highlight shows. Um, we, we, we were on to BC, right? On to BC, yeah. BC, who beat Pitt today <laughs> in overtime. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 you told me at 6 o'clock. Because I told you at six o'clock, and by that time, so what are we? Three hours, right? At a little over three hours past the game, I texted you and said, "I'm not as mad with this loss." You texted me back, and we're like, "I'm still bleeping mad with this loss." Where are you a few hours later, looking at more tape? Are you still as angry, or is it? Are you coming down to where it's like I'm not as mad, but. <laughs> I'm very mad that we did not have Hendon Hooker out there to start the game, especially the way he played when he was on the field. Um, I'm still mad that our linebackers didn't play better um, because at some point, I mean, the the, the bad reads, I, I will live with that because people are going to get bad reads, especially against a team that does you know some mix, misdirection in the things with the RPO that they do. I get that, but they played timid and they didn't tackle well, and that's things that they can control. So that's got to be better. That's got to be better going forward. And, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping getting Dee and Jenkins back is going to clean up a little bit of that run game stuff, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Thankfully, we got a team coming in that does not run the ball very well, yeah. so I think we're going to have some more success in, in that area uh, this week. Um, but – with the way they sling the ball a bunch of times, I would like to have the safeties back as well yeah. <laughs> for that. Well, from, from everything we're gathering, Devine's back regardless. Devine, actually, Devine should probably be back for a whole week of practice, which is good. Yeah. Um, cause if, because I think me and you did some counting earlier. We said he could be back if he was one of these tests, but he wasn't. So he was they, in the he was in the Friday set, which meant that he wasn't going to get even if it was negative. He wasn't getting results back until after the team had already traveled. Yep. So he's in the Friday set. You hope he's back because if he's back, because it would have been Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. His tenth day will be tomorrow, which is not a practice day. Luckily, it's one of those things he can be on a Zoom meeting with the guys, and he's back on the field Monday practicing. Kianta. I want to say Kianta was in the early set of testings. I want to it, say it sounded was, like he was the Monday. He was set. in the Monday. So he has a chance of being cleared either Wednesday or Friday. Okay, so we think he's in the Monday. If it that he's Wednesday. No, he would be Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. If he's middle, he's the borderline. Yeah. The borderline if he's there next week. Now, luckily for us, it is a home game, right? Yep. So no travel. So he's not cleared by the Wednesday test. He should be cleared by the Friday test. Which he should means- at least be available, even if he's not the guy that you're rolling out there to start the game Absolutely. because of preparation. So he's at least available. My beer is empty. I think I'm not going to have another one. It's one o'clock. You're you're at the the moment of truth where you got to decide: do I drink some more or do I just go to sleep? 
Yeah, I need to go to sleep. The little one was up at like 6.20 this morning on a Saturday. So I need uh, to Yeah. Freaking kid sleeps at like quarter to seven on the weekdays. And then Saturday morning he wants to wake up at 6 o'clock. And it's, you know. The unsanctimonious wake up. Exactly. Um, How'd the queso turn out? Dude, it was baller. Went with the fundido had some uh, some chorizo, some jalapeno in there, a little rotel. Got the uh, the, the uh, Velveeta Blanco. Um, what else do I have in there? Some uh, pepper jack, some onion. Man. Did you yeah. have, did you have your wife and child have any? Oh yeah, <laughs> they had some. I I mean honestly there's there's about half a pan left sitting in the I I, I put it in a in a in a container for tomorrow. So I've got some, I've got some game day food for tomorrow too. Wow. Some leftover. I, I ended up doing some, uh, you know, we had talked about brisket. I actually ended up grabbing a, a boneless, uh, pork butt and did some, uh, carnitas. So I had oh. some carnitas tacos with the queso. Dude, you, you turned baller tonight, man. Very yeah, nice. I, like I said, I ate my feelings. You ate your feelings. I sat here. I ate a bagel for breakfast and didn't eat anything until I had gorditas with from Mijalisco with some shrimp, some chicken, and some steak on that bad boy. I, I gobbled them both down. My wife looked at me as I was eating the second one. She's like, you can eat all of it? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, commit or quit. Commit or quit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, scrolling through Twitter here at 1 a.m., anything we've missed? Nothing fun, man. Nothing fun. <laughs> you know, the only upside, knock on wood, is essentially Luke Tenuta was out today, but I don't. I think that was probably something else. Just when you see only one position group guy go down, hopefully find out more this week, have it reported for you guys on the preview show. But since there is nothing else out there, that is going to wrap up this late-night episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe for your podcast or your favorite source, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. Tonight we let our buddy Jason Long play us out with hard lessons because we had a lot of hard lessons today as Hokies fans. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening, and as always, let's go. Hokies! Spend my youth just rambling around, burning that road up from town to town. But days are long and these nights grow cold. Pretty soon these life stones get old. Hey!